0: So Acts chapter 28, verse 11 is where I want to begin reading in the New King James Version. I'm just going to read to the end, and you can remain seated because there's about 20 or 21 verses. The word of the Lord says this, after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers. The twin brothers are the sons of Zeus. So they have these gods mounted on the front of this boat because these two twin gods are the gods of uh, good fortune for seafarers something we don't think much of today, but it was a big, big deal to them back then. And so we get that detail passed on to us. This is the kind of boat that they got on. And it had wintered at the island. And and landing at Syracuse, we stayed for three days. And from there, we circled around and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Putoli, where we found brethren. And we were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, When the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appai Forum and three inns, or three taverns. There was shops, so there's these little villages. And the the Jews and the Christians started to come out. They heard that Paul was coming, and and they started to come out uh, to see him. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion, who was over the boat delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had done anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I call have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So Paul is a prisoner, but he's not being thrown into a prison. He is allowed to live uh, under a sort of house arrest. He has a chain. He He is bound, but he's under house arrest. And he's got a soldier with him that stays with him and they work in shifts and they'll work short shifts and the soldiers will rotate off of Paul's personal detail. Verse 21, then they said to him, we never, n- neither received letters from Judea concerning you nor have any of the brethren who came or reported, uh, who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. There's a detail we have. The Jewish people that were meeting with Paul, they regarded Christianity as a sect. The word sect comes from the Greek word that means heresy, heresy. So that's what they regarded. They regarded this as a radical offshoot of the Jewish religion. They said, we've heard about you guys. Everyone talks bad about you. But since you're here, we're interested in what you have to say. So let's set up a time to talk. So when they had appointed verse 23 him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. That's a long Bible study. And it happened more than just one day. It happened repeatedly. It would happen daily from morning until evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. But w- so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. So Paul ended up saying this one thing that caused them all to go away, and here it is. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull.'" Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence no one forbidding him. And that's the end of the book of Acts. Now, you remember if you've been with us on Sundays and Wednesdays, you've heard us talking extensively about the world that we're changing in and how the world that we're living in and how it's changing a great deal. It has changed a great deal and it's continuing to cha- change a great deal. And we've used words like exile and we've talked about Babylon and we've talked about persecution, and we're talking about these things more than we ever have. And uh, there's there's something happening in our world today. The times are changing. We're entering a new time that none of us have ever lived in before. And I think that it's so similar to the days that Paul was living in and that the early church lived and ministered in in the book of Acts. I want to talk tonight from that passage about turning the page, turning the page. Now, uh, if there's any parents or anyone that's that's ever raised children and, and maybe you don't have children at home right now, but you've been a parent, um, have you ever had somebody think you were coming down too hard on your kids? You ever like you know something happens and you have to kind of like say, "Hey, that's enough." And someone kind of looks sideways at you like man, that was that was that was tough, you know, and I'm not talking about being ignorant, I'm just talking about discipline, I'm just talking about uh, just normal discipline. And most of the time, as parents, what we know is that when we discipline one of our children and somebody gives us that sideways look, and they're like, "Yikes, That was tough. What they don't know is that there's been conversations that have happened before that. Anybody else live in the real world? We've had I mean, we had one of those come to Jesus family meetings at my house the other night. Okay? What they don't know, they weren't at the kitchen table two nights ago. When we took the time and had a conversation about the different, the expectations that we have for behavior, and then, you know, and then, and, and to somebody that wasn't there at the kitchen table that night, it might might look a little harsh, it might look a little, a little sudden whenever there's discipline that happens with your children, and they kind of give you that sideways look, but what they don't know is that these conversations have already taken place, and that the expectations have already been communicated, amen? Sometimes, sometimes... It looks like things are done with no warning. It's just something happens, and then suddenly, boom. You just kind of have to lay down the law, and you just kind of correct it right there on the spot. And you don't do it rudely or ignorantly, but you, can, you just kind of have to be direct about it and make your point. And you're drawing on previous conversations, right? You're, you're, you're not – I mean, is there anything worse that – I mean, I don't want – I'm going to meddle. You can tell when you go to the store, the people that don't discipline their kids – because they're trying to, their kids are acting up, and they're trying to discipline their kid in the store. And you can tell, like, the store is not where it starts, right? And they're acting crazy, and, they're, and, and what the parent is doing is they're overreacting, like they're overcorrecting, because they don't know what to do, because the rest of the time, in private, they just let them run undisciplined all the time. But then when they're out in public, and they get embarrassed because their kid's acting ridiculous... They start overcorrecting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry. That's it's the truth. It's the truth. I'm bringing that up because there's some there's some correlation between what we're talking about here. In in those days, in the first generation of the church, it was the custom of the church to go to the Jews first. The very first ministry that happened in the New Testament at the day of Pentecost, it all originated, Brother Burke, in Jerusalem. It started with Jerusalem. When Jesus, before Jesus ascended, before the day of Pentecost even happened, Jesus told them that it was going to happen at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then in Samaria and then to the end of the earth. And that's exactly the pattern that the apostles followed. Even... Even the Apostle Paul, who the New Testament tells us is the apostle to the Gentiles, when he would go into unchurched areas. He would go to the synagogue first, where the Jews were, and start and, and begin by doing ministry first to the Jewish population that was there. And that was the pattern for the entire first generation of the church. They were reaching primarily at first for the Jewish people, the Hebrews. The nation of Israel had to be evangelized, and that's what happened in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. And then everywhere they went, even in these other cities, these Greek cities, these pagan cities, if there was a cluster of Jewish people, they would get the first treatment, and they would be the ones that were reached for first. And in the middle of all this, it's absolutely true. There are Gentile conversions. There's people like Cornelius. There's people like Lydia. There's people that start to be converted uh, to to the church, and start to have the new birth experience that aren't Jews. Those things are happening. But in the pages of the book of Acts, so much of the ministry at first is happening and being directed towards the Jewish people. The Jewish people. And that's the way that it was done in that first generation. It was that way by design because the entire first church at the day directed them and said, it's going to, there's going to be an epicenter in Jerusalem, and it's going to go from there. So it's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's the way it happened. But here as the book of Acts closes, Paul reaches Rome. And Rome is a different kind of epicenter. Rome is an epicenter of the Gentile world. And there is a change, a shift that is clearly happening as the book of Acts draws to a close. It is a turning of the page that's taking place, because for 30 years, for a generation, the Jews and the nation of Israel have had 30 years to consider the gospel. They've had a generation of evangelism that's directed toward the nation of Israel, both geographically in Israel and in the rest of the world, they've had time to be persuaded of the truth that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the prophesied Messiah. And so much of the ministry that's happened in this first generation of the church has been directed at them. And as the book of Acts closes, we start to understand what the Jews largely thought of this group of Christians. They regarded them as a sect, as a faction, as a radical offshoot of their ancient religion. And they've had apostles that have been reaching for them for decades and sitting in their synagogues and seated in their homes and trying to describe to them from Moses and the prophets that Jesus is the Christ. And now at the end of the book of Acts, there's a move that's happening. There's a turning of the page that's occurring. And instead of the mission of the church being primarily a Jewish evangelism mission, now there's a turning of the page happening where Paul says, Enough! I am going to go to the Gentiles. They will hear this message. At Rome, the Jews said to Paul, They said, we desire to know what it is that you think. Concerning this sect, we know that they're spoken against everywhere. And Paul ministered the gospel to them daily, as he had done in every other location that he'd ever been to, where there'd been a synagogue or a Jewish population. He invited them into his home. He hosted them, and he explained and expounded the word of God to them from Moses and the prophets, from morning until evening, until finally the day came when some were starting to get it, but most were deciding it wasn't for them. That Paul quoted from the prophet Isaiah, and he, saw, he told the group that had gathered there, the prophet Isaiah was right about you when he said in the days of your ancestors that there would be some Many that would be too dull of senses, too small of hearing or seeing to hear this message and receive it. I will go to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And I told you that analogy a moment ago about parents and children because it applies here so well, I believe. Because for generations, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years... God had been reaching and preparing Israel. For generations, they had, follow the analogy with me, sat at the kitchen table and had a family meeting about what was going to come and the expectations that were going to be in place and the events that were going to transpire. For generations, God had sent prophets and teachers and scribes and fiery preachers. And he had called Israel my son, my child. And he had prepared Israel for this day when the Messiah would step on the scene so that Israel would not just have the first shot at accepting the gospel, but they would have the best shot at accepting the gospel. And now, when the day came, Israel is largely rejecting the message of Jesus Christ in favor of their traditions and the way that they had always done things. And so when we see in a setting like Acts 28 and elsewhere in the New Testament, we'll get there in a moment, when the Apostle Paul quotes that passage from Isaiah and says, I've ha- the prophet was right about you guys. Your time is up. I'm going to the Gentiles. And they're going to hear it. We can parachute into that passage and we can read that and we can say, boy, that sounds harsh. Just the same way if you ever see someone parenting in the moment. We can say, wow, that just, that sounds tough. I don't know where that's coming from. And the reason it sounds that way is because maybe you haven't considered the entire Old Testament. Maybe you aren't considering all the kitchen table conversations where God slowed down and he would send prophet after prophet and teacher after teacher to his child Israel, preparing them for the moment when they would need to behave correctly on the world stage and bring forth the Messiah and say, here he is, the Savior of the world. And then when Israel fails to do that, The Apostle Paul quotes that passage from Isaiah. Let's look at exactly what Paul says in this pivotal moment. What it means to them and what it means to us. Talking about turning the page tonight. Acts chapter 28, I want to call your attention to verse 25, 26, and 27. It says, when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said, after Paul had said one word. This is what... This is what broke up the party. This is what they they, <laughs> they were done. Paul said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly concerning, uh, through Isaiah, the prophet to our fathers, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. I want, to, want you to pick up on that line, because, the, this is the why, because The hearts of this people have grown dull. Why is this happening? Because the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. This is a quotation if you have a study Bible, and maybe you have it open right now, or maybe you noticed it and you've already done your reading for today and you noticed it earlier. This is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6. And it sounds tough. You read it, and it sounds tough. It's tough for Paul to be saying in this setting, it sounds like, it sounds like he's saying that God is making, making it to where they can't be saved. Doesn't that what it sound like? Isn't that what it sounds like? It sounds like he's saying, your time is done, your chances are over, goodbye, on to the next one. And what's really happening and what we really have to key in on is why he had to say this in the first place. And it's found in verse 27. It's that phrase that I highlighted in our hearing a moment ago. The hearts of this people have grown dull. This wasn't ultimately God's doing. This was based on the response of the people. This was based on the response of the people, not just one time. But compounding many times. And because they had heard the gospel, and because they had been prepared, and because there had been conversations leading up to this stage in history so many times, and every step along the way there had been a rejection, and there had been an indifference, and there had been uh, a a negligence of this message of Jesus and the Messiah, because it had happened so many times over and over and over again, the hearts of the people grew dull because when you have the message repeated to you so many times your heart starts to lose its capacity to receive it i know i know that that's a difficult reality for us to square up with other things that we know to be true i'm going to be honest with you and tell you That there are times when we look at a doctrine like this and we look at a reality like this and it's difficult and it looks tough. Because on the flip side of the coin, we know that there's scriptures that tell us that God is love. And we know that there are scriptures that say that it's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that is the will of God. And God certainly does ...loved the world. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But by the same token... ...when there is a group of people or even an individual... ...that is repeatedly presented with the message of salvation... ...and the message of the gospel and the message of a Savior and a Messiah... ...and repeatedly they blockade themselves against it... ...they push away from it, they're indifferent to it... ...they reject it altogether over time, there is an effect that happens. And that person or that group's capacity to hear the message and receive it gets smaller and smaller. You know what we call it? In the Bible, they call it uh, that their heart is hardened. That's the Bible language for it. Their heart is hardened. How does someone's heart become hardened? Who in the Old Testament do we know for sure had their heart hardened pharaoh we read that in the book of exodus it seems like every chapter is telling us that that pharaoh's heart becomes hardened we think back to what was happening in exodus moses goes in pharaoh i'm here i'm the representative of the one true living god you need to throw away all the other gods you need to let my people go We want to go out and worship him out in the wilderness. Pharaoh says, "Uh uh-uh, ain't doing it. I'm rejecting that message. God's plan, don't want anything to do with it. Not interested. How many times does it happen? Happens many times. And over the course of time, Pharaoh's heart becomes so hard that by the end of Pharaoh's story, Pharaoh is so crazed that he's chasing Israel. He finally does let him go, but he changes his mind. He chases him out into the middle of the Red Sea and dies. He's lost his mind. His heart has become so glazed over so hard because of his repeated rejection of the plan of God, the message of God, the character of God. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And so his capacity to receive the message and do the will of God becomes diminished over time. And that's not to say that any of us lack free will or that any of us can't make the right decision or that any of our loved ones who are far from God can't, like the prodigal, come to themselves. But hear me, it absolutely takes an act of God to break through that. The book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4, 5, and 6 tells us that there after that there is no message after the cross. I'm paraphrasing, but those of us that know about the plan of God and we know about the experience of God and we know about the character of God and we reject it, there's no other message waiting for us. We have to come back to the cross and it takes an act of God to have somebody come to themselves and break through the hardness of that heart. God's words to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 Says in verse 8, I also heard the word of the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing but do not understand, seeing but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And return and be healed. Did that mean Isaiah turned the faucet off and didn't go and have anything else to do with them? No. This was the very beginning of his ministry. He went 60 more chapters. Preaching the gospel. Preaching God's plan to Israel. Reaching for them. And there most almost certainly was a remnant that heard him. And, and, and followed the message of God that Isaiah was preaching in those days. But largely Isaiah's message went unheeded. And the prophecy of God happened because Isaiah's message stood as an indictment against his generation because God sent a man to come and tell them what he intended to do and what they needed to do about it, and they wouldn't hear it. And so their heart became hard, and their ears became dull, and it was an indictment against them. Jesus himself picks up the same theme. In Luke chapter 8, if you want to write it down and go and look at it later, Luke chapter 8, Jesus, and in Mark chapter 4, by the way, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells a story about a sower and soil and seed and how a sower went forth to sow, and there was different kinds of soil, and because the seed fell on different kinds of soil, there were different kinds of reactions that happened and different kinds of growth that occurred, and he got done telling the parable. And his disciples were saying, Jesus, what in the world was that about? I don't know what you're getting at. Can we know some more? And Jesus pulls his closest disciples away. And he said, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus quotes the same exact passage from Isaiah. He said, this is only going to be available to those who want it. Those who will truly hear. Those who will truly see. It's available. It's accessible to anybody. But you have to want it. You have to want it. You're not going to drift it. You're going to have to want to hear this message. You're going to have to want to please the Lord. You're going to have to want to live holy. It's not going to be accidental, and it's not going to happen just because you drift your way into it. And in Luke chapter eight, this is just for effect. Luke chapter eight, the passage we read together, the, the person who wrote this, Luke, he only includes, he only includes part of what Jesus said. The first Jesus, it's a very abbreviated version because you, you can tell Jesus doesn't quote, at least according to Luke in that setting. The entire passage from Isaiah chapter 6, it's just a couple of lines. But in Mark chapter 4, which tells us the same exact story about the same exact day, it says that Jesus actually said more. Is everyone following with me? And so what Luke has done, because who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So what Luke has done is Luke is holding back a little bit. Because Luke tells this story about Jesus quoting this passage from Isaiah 6, but he holds back a little bit, Savannah. He holds back a little bit. Jesus quoted the whole thing, but Luke, because he is telling a story, he holds it back a little bit. Because later on in volume 2 at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is going to quote the whole thing. And when Paul quotes the whole thing, Luke, because that's how the book of Acts ends. The book of Acts ends by... the the season that God had set aside for missionary work to happen towards the Jews, that season is drawing to a close and there is a turning of the page that is happening and it is signaled by the Apostle Paul standing in the middle of Rome quoting the prophet Isaiah in full and saying, it has come to pass in your hearing. You are dull of senses and we are moving on to the Gentiles. And that's how the book of Acts ends. Now here's the backstory: As Paul stands in Rome, he's already been in Rome to a sen- in a sense because years before this, about five or six years before this, Paul sent a letter. Paul sent a letter to Rome. It's the, it's the very next book after the book of Acts in your New Testament. It's Paul's letter to the Romans. It's 16 chapters long. It's Paul's longest letter. He sent it to the church in Rome, the church that he was now visiting he had already sent a letter to and they had read this letter and there was a section of this letter that addresses exactly what i'm describing right now romans chapter 9 10 and 11 we had some handouts and i don't know if we had enough and those are just for further study if you want to burrow down into some passages and see some of the connections but romans chapter 9 10 and 11 directly address chapter 28 It's about Israel's rejection of Jesus. It's about Israel and the gospel of Jesus Christ and how they have rejected it. And at a third, I'm not going to get into all three of those chapters. That's not what we're fixing to do. That's why I give you the handout so that you can dig into that later on your own time. We got to leave a little bit of meat on the bone. But a 30,000 foot view will tell us that nine times, it's it's on the handout. Nine times in those three chapters in Romans, Paul quotes Isaiah. The same one that he quotes at the, at the end of Acts chapter 28. He quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he's talking about how Israel, who should, they had the first chance, they had the best chance. And they missed it. They've rejected Jesus and in those three chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, there's also references to Genesis and Job and Psalms and Hosea and Malachi and Exodus and Joel and Deuteronomy and 1 Kings. It is just absolutely loaded with references to the Old Testament. And those are just the direct citations. There's all kinds of indirect citations. loads it up in those chapters because he is writing about a people that have been indifferent to the gospel, and they have heard repeatedly the message of Jesus, and they've been ministered to from every angle, in every setting, and they have still set and not decided to respond and follow the Lord. And after so many attempts to reach them, And after so many rejections and so much indifference toward the message, he does it time and time again, and eventually he gets to the end of the book of Acts, and there is a turning of the page that happens. This message is too important to be held up by those who have a chance to hear it, by those who aren't interested. There was an entire world of people before Paul. And Paul had been going to pockets of synagogues and places seeking out certain individuals for too long. And he eventually heard the voice of God quicken him and say to him, Paul, there needs to be a turning of the page. God is under no obligation for someone to hear the gospel more than once. And I know know that that sounds unkind, but it is the truth. God is under no obligation to give anyone two chances to respond. You might look at this and you say, "But it doesn't." It just looks like God is. God is really giving them over to what they want. And if that looks like judgment, then so be it. Sometimes that's what judgment looks like. Is when God finally releases us to our own devices. But He will direct the resources of the kingdom towards the hungry. He will. It happened with Pharaoh in Exodus. It happens with people in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, it happens to people today. And I know it's a hard doctrine. It has to be reconciled with things like God is love and and God's calling everyone to repentance, which are absolutely true. God is reaching for the entire world, and he never stops. As long as you have breath in your body, as long as your loved one has breath in their body, there is a chance for them to be saved. But hear me. The Jews, the people that exist even today, they still have hope. And people today who backslide or who have not responded to God in the past can still be saved. And those people can still experience the new birth. But it takes a sovereign act of God to stir them so that they will come to themselves. And there is a turning of the page that is happening. I can't minister this passage tonight without sounding the alarm. God is turning the page on, I'll call it nominal Christians, which means in name only. If you are a believer in name only, it brings me no joy to say so, but there is a turning of the page happening in our hour. Because for generations, even in our country, for generations, this gospel has been preached. And men and women have stood behind pulpits and sat across kitchen tables just like this building. Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday, God's word has been opened to the redeemed. And in the cases where there is no eagerness, there is no transformation, and there is no willing to consecrate, God will move on. And there is a turning of the page that's happening. And we must make sure It's very sobering and solemn to say so, but brothers and sisters, we must make sure that we are not Christians in name only, in name only, just because we attend a church that has those words on the sign. We must make sure that we have a depth and a realness to our relationship with God in this hour, in this end time hour, because if we slip past where God is operating, and the Spirit of God departs from us, departs from you, and you know it not, O oh God. You can hear when you read Romans chapter 9, you can hear Paul's heart tearing in half because of the condition of his brothers. He says in Romans chapter 9 verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Paul is an Israelite and he sees the condition of those who he most closely associates with, and he sees that they're not living the way they're supposed to live, and he sees that they're not praying the way they're supposed to pray, and they're not responding to the Spirit the way that they're supposed to be responding to the Spirit. And Paul makes one of those stunning statements that I don't know if I can make. And he says, I would, just so that they could be saved and that their eyes would be opened, that I would be accursed, and that my salvation would be forfeited. So that my brothers and my countrymen, according to the flesh, could be saved. His heart is rending in two. He has continual grief over this. And I'm telling you tonight that we live in such an hour. And if you've read lately the... Book of Revelation in those first three chapters where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. We are living in an hour where the condition of the Laodicean church is coming to pass before our very eyes. Because the book of Revelation says, Sister Kelly, if you would come to the keys. The angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. Brothers and sisters, that is the condition of the first century Jewish population that Paul was dealing with. They said, We have Abraham, we have the promises and the covenants and the prophets and the law we are rich and we have become wealthy and we are in need of nothing it would be foolish for us to think that we 2,000 years later having been preached to for generations having had the word of God in our written tongue for centuries and having the word of God opened in our hearing week after week Sunday after Sunday Wednesday after Wednesday as the redeemed of the Lord That if we do not respond to what God is doing in this hour, there is a turning of the page that is happening. There is a call that is going forth in this hour. And God will not forever climb over carnality or permit spiritual consumers to manage him, to put him in a box, to ignore him, and to program him out of our lives. God simply will not permit it. He will not go on forever. And brothers and sisters, at the very end of this year, 2023, there is a turning of the page that's happening in our culture. There is a turning of the page that is happening in our world. There is a turning of the page that is happening in our churches. And if there's ever been a time when we need to have the real thing, where we need to be the real thing, and not just in name only, it's today. Stand with me if you would. Acknowledging together tonight that there is a turning of the page happening and going into a time of prayer tonight as we prepare to step into a new year It would be wise on a night like tonight to kindle the fire of your walk with God and to make sure your ears are open and to make sure your eyes are seeing. Brother Dustin, how do I do it? Let me give you a few points that you might consider, and then we're going to have a time of prayer, and you can prayerfully consider what I'm fixing to say. How do I do it? How do I rekindle that? How do I make sure my spiritual senses are what they need to be in this hour? Pick up on these reading plans that we've been doing together. We're going to start another one soon. Bring your Bible to church. As simple as it may seem, change where you sit in the sanctuary. (laughs) Change your, your vantage point. Fellowship with people that you don't normally sit with when we have a meal. Go out to a meal together with somebody here at the church. Invite somebody at the church into your home and host them. Wake up earlier for prayer. Memorize some script life. Do something to kindle up that walk with God that you have. Because there is a turning of the page that's happening. And I know this, in this end time hour, I don't want to be hard hearted. I don't want to be short-sighted. I don't want to be stubborn. I don't want to be found in opposition with God. I don't want to reject his message. I don't want to sit in too many Sundays or Wednesdays and hear the word of God opened in my hearing and not respond and be moved in my spirit. I want God to have access to the innermost part of who who I am. And I want him to stir me. And I want to go beyond stirred. And I want to be changed. And I want to be changed into his likeness. And I know that's how you feel. Can we lift our hands in the house of the Lord right now? And can we begin to step out of where we are? I want to invite everybody. Why don't you come up around these altars and find a place of response right now? Because there's a turning of the page that's happening in our world right now. And God has his hand on the paper. and He's fixing to turn the page and there's changes that are happening in our world it's not just a calendar that's changing but there's something happening in the spirit around us, there's an exile there's uh, encounters with a spirit of Babylon that we're having every day. You're, it's coming through your media and it's coming through your school and it's coming through your relationships and it's leaking into our conversations and if we aren't serious about walking with God in this hour, if we aren't crying out and saying, God I want you I'm hungry for you, I need you God, I want an eagerness in my spirit, oh there's a turning of the page that's happening in our hour God is turning the page God is changing things Come on in.